My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. with today's guest jim lee so please go over to our patreon or our Substack and support the podcast now to enjoy the full episode and our full catalog of episodes which includes every episode of the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast and more bonus episodes and other shows that i've done with past guests and friends so go and check that out and thank you so much for being here enjoy the show Welcome to another heart-pounding episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, the podcast that takes you on a wild ride through the uncharted territories of human curiosity. I'm your host, Mystic Mark, and today we're delving into a realm where science meets secrecy, where clouds become pawns in a global chess game. Welcome to the Weather Wars, unraveling the secret science behind atmospheric mastery. Picture this. A world where storms are brewed in clandestine laboratories, where rain dances aren't left to chance, but orchestrated with military precision. Today we peel back the layers of the sky, exploring the fascinating and sometimes terrifying world of weather manipulation. At the heart of our journey lies the enigma of climate change. Is it an unpredictable force of nature, or as some suggest, a meticulously crafted strategy for geopolitical dominance? Join me and today's guest, Jim Lee, as we navigate through the stormy seas of evidence, conspiracy, and the undeniable truth that our climate is shifting, leaving us to question who holds the reins. Today's guest, Jim Lee, is the legendary weather watcher, aka Climate Viewer, the man behind climateviewer.org. He joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Jim Lee. It is a war for your mind. And that is, and that war is waged with words. And that's why I think slave speak is probably the most important thing that I've ever read for being a critical thinker in modern society. 
because I don't trust any of the people that I'm listening to anymore. It has to at least resonate with me somewhat in my gut. First wave gut check. Does this sound plausible? Even afterwards, it's going to take me a long time to come to the point where I'm going to state beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is true. Just the word chemtrail. I personally, if you really want to get down to it, I think that the whole chemtrail conspiracy was brought about by the airline industry, specifically to keep people arguing about secret government programs to spray them like bugs so that you're so busy arguing about that that you never do anything about the fact that they literally are responsible for burning jet fuel that puts one billion tons of carbon black dust soot into the sky every single year that in that soot is all of the metals that I mentioned earlier Aluminum, barium, strontium, vanadium, molybdenum, zirconium, like every single alkali and all the metals. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And today's guest is a legend in the game. He is somebody who's been looking at the topic of weather manipulation, weather warfare, and really everything going on above our heads and in most cases over our heads. So I'm really grateful that he's here to help make sense of it all. Jim Lee, welcome to the show, brother. It's a pleasure to have you. We've talked a couple times before, way too long ago. It's you know well overdue that you're here. So I'm happy to have you on the show. Tell folks a little bit about yourself if they maybe for the first time are hearing about you. Well, first off, my family definitely thinks I'm crazy, except for my wife and my two daughters. I have a 13-year-old daughter and a 7-year-old daughter. I've been married for 24 years to my soulmate. I'm very lucky in that. She supported me even though she thought I was crazy. And the rest of my family, they're completely oblivious. They're typical lemmings. You know, I got the brother-in-law who's the football nut, the the sister who just doesn't believe anything, the mother and father that you don't talk about that around the table, and the brother who just literally is like, what does it really matter? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I live in Sumter, South Carolina. I'm 46 years old, born in the year of the dragon. I'm a Scorpio. I'm a nerd. I only started doing this because up until the point where I had my first daughter, I literally did a whole lot of fapping, playing video games and, you know, smoking a lot of weed and, you know, having a child for the first time makes you go, should I have responsibility? And then you start thinking about all the other things, you know, that maybe you should care about. And then it takes you back to your boy scout roots. And then you go, well, Maybe I should, you know, take some of all of this stuff that you've been learning on, you know, on the Internet since you were 12 that you already know and maybe dig into it a little bit. And, of course, you know, you got that extra time on your hands when you're at work and you're being an IT guy. And I literally built ClimateViewer.com at work, you know, while getting paid by a tire shop to be their IT guy. And eventually I just was like, you know what? screw this tire shop. I'm going off to be a YouTube legend. And 15 years later, I've been able to amass a whopping 30,000 subscribers because 
the struggle is real. Either that or I really suck at what I do. But regardless, yeah, the life of a YouTuber slash researcher, web designer, archivist, that's more of what I do than anything is I put, you know, put dots together, like literally on a map, you know, plug it into some HTML, spit it out in a nice infographic, use my graphic skills, you know, all the skills that I've built over a lifetime to nerd the hell out on topics like geoengineering, weather warfare, pollution, privacy, and propaganda. And you can find all my stuff at Climate Viewer on all the socials and climateviewer.com. That's my home base and climateviewer.org, which is where all my maps are. And I, I, you know, I spend a lot of time writing lengthy articles before I realized that nobody reads anymore. I've kind of, I've kind of put a stop like in 2019, I stopped writing articles finally and just focus more on, you know, the weather modification history timeline, which is just, you know, like chronological dates, you know, of very important moments in the history of weather control. Right now I'm working on rebuilding my map from scratch. So doing a whole lot of that sort of stuff. I'm just, you know, your typical nerd who has a plethora of things that I remember. I can't not remember. So is it a gift? Is it a curse? I don't know. But when I talk to strangers, they typically start out thinking I'm crazy. And then pretty soon I convince them with my Southern charm and common sense that I'm not an idiot and definitely not crazy. I probably am crazy. Well, I think we're off to a great start at that rate then, and I hope we do convince some folks, but you've got me convinced, Jim. I've been a fan of yours since I first heard you interviewed. I don't remember if it was on the Higher Side Chats or somewhere. I don't remember what podcast it was, but I quickly realized that, you know, it's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it, and you're the guy collecting, as you say, kind of like an archive, and yeah, I think people owe you uh, some gratitude. Now, when it comes to your personal experience, did you have like a plane, like crap on your head? Like, what? how did you first realize, like, did you wake up one morning with like chemtrail juice on you? How did you first like realize that this was something that you were going to pursue? What was the first kind of like light bulb moment for you? Oddly enough, there was this comet C2010X, Comet Elenin. And, you know, I was still a member of, well, let's, nobody's really a member. You don't get a card or a membership, you know, agreement or anything, but I was a anonymous hacker. Let's just put it that way. And, you know, I was lurking on the inner tubes and, you know, watching many different things and reading a whole lot of, you know, document dumps from various government agents because, you know, the latest leaks are full of lulls. When suddenly this caught my attention and the whole, the big, you know, conspiracy that was rolling around was that, and this is around like September, you know, I want to say 2009, right about the time my daughter was born. Interesting. And I, you know, I was already going through this huge life change. And then 
you know, I'm watching this stuff on the internet and they're making this really big deal about the solar kill shot that this comet that's coming in from outer space, interstellar comet of doom was causing earthquakes on the planet already. And this whole idea was put forth by a guy named Mansur Omer Bashish, who claims to be the crown prince of Croatia, who wrote a scientific paper called a magnitude six plus seismicity and astral alignments with comet Ellen in C 2010 X. So of course, here we have the basis of many of the, you know, this is a cussing friendly show. Go for many it. of the bullshit conspiracies that are out there. You sprinkle just enough science in, and then you make outrageous claims, but you have just enough science that people don't understand they're being bullshit. So I fell into the trap because it was going viral on all these different, you know, platforms, different talking heads. They were all talking about it. A guy by the name of Dutch Sense and Suspicious Observer, both of them were talking about like going to the top of the Rocky Mountains because that would be the only safe place to be whenever this all goes down. President Obama was flown out to the Denver International Airport on the day that the comet passed between Earth and um, the sun. And was supposedly there because of the deep underground military base at the Denver International Airport. So I'm like, whoa, dude, whoa, this is getting real, man. I had my family all freaked out. I'm like, honey, we might want to consider, you know, going up to, you know, smoke, you know, the Appalachian Trail and, you know, finding a nice high spot to see the world burn from. And then nothing happened. And I said... Son of a bitch. I mean, how did somebody smart like me get played like this, like so fucking hard? Like, how did I get played so hard? So I had to do like a post-mortem on the whole thing. Because up to this point, I had resonated.net and resonated.com, R-E-Z-N-A-D. That's been my nickname forever. If you Google R-E-Z-N-A-D, that's me everywhere. So I had those and they were on, you know, at a WordPress site. And I had written like 300 articles anonymously. I deleted them all, like almost all. Of them. There's like 14 articles left. And the reason why is because in my postmortem, I just did an analysis of how I got mind controlled. And I came across a paper by an author named Frederick Mann called The Anatomy of Slave Speak. And in it, it talks about language that maintains the master-slave relationship and how to control people's minds simply with words. Um, and he gives great quotes uh, to start off with, like Stalin, Joseph Stalin, uh, we would not let our enemies have guns. Why should we let them have ideas? Things like that. Um, language creates spooks that get into our head and hypnotize us. All kinds of just, you know, quote after quote and just, you know, example after example. And by the time you're done with it, you're left with 
there's high level descriptors and there's low level descriptors and people who use high level descriptors are typically trying to manipulate you. So if somebody tries to use words like low level descriptors, baseball, golf ball, bow and arrow, you know, these are things that I don't have to explain to you what they mean. We both are not going to argue about what they mean. They're not ethereal. You can hold it. You can lick it. You can stick it. You know what it is. It's real. Coffee cup. That's a low-level descriptor. Now, if I say drinking vessel, starting to get into that little gray area. That could be many different things. High-level descriptors like good, evil, God, government, Tesla tech arrays, harp rings, chemtrails. These are words that are highly argumentative. They have different meanings based on the perceptions and lived experiences of the individuals. So they are susceptible to manipulation, especially I gave the example of Tesla tech arrays. When somebody makes up their own word, it's unique to them. This was a, I want to say Rev Michelle Hopkins, I believe her name was. She came up with this TTAs. They were Tesla tech arrays. And they were like, basically she was claiming that there were harps on the bottom of the ocean. And they were Tesla tech arrays. Okay. That's some bullshit. And the reason why you you start to realize what they're doing is very similar to what's been done throughout history is that you have a book. It's completely written in Latin. And guess what? Nobody reads Latin. So you have to go to the church and guess who's going to read it to you? This dude up here. And he's going to tell you that you got to pay some money. And if you don't, we're going to excommunicate your ass from the church and you'll never go to heaven. Well, that's a big problem. So the same is true with indoctrination using this type of terminology, you know, using language to maintain a master slave relationship. If I made up the word, I'm the only one who understands what it really means. And I can give you little nuggets daily, but you got to come to me to know about that thing because I made up the fucking word. Okay. So after realizing this, I went back and I reread even the stuff that I had written and realized that I was using the same language in the same manner that it was fed to me. George Orwell said, when asked about his book, 1984, did he think he did a good job? He said, well, I think that it would have been better had I not been under the influence of television when I wrote it. Pretty damn bad. And that's where you start to realize that everything you view, everything you take in, you're going to resonate that back out in some way, shape or form if you're not cognizant of the fact that you are susceptible to manipulation and you have to always be on guard for that. 
Oh, yeah. I was like that with the History Channel, Ancient Aliens. I saw that show, Ancient Aliens, and for for a year after that, I was their biggest promoter. I went around to all my friends, aliens built the pyramids, aliens built this, aliens built that. And now, after actually reading some books about the topic, I've, I'm further from thinking aliens built anything than I ever was. And, you know, I know this isn't well, a conversation. Don't you know about the Anunnaki? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, haven't you heard about the planet of the crossing, Nibiru, Marduk? I mean, if you don't know about these things, that was another one. Right. They were kind of playing into this. That's where this whole Comet Elenin thing kind of has its roots, okay? Is that there's a timing to this, too. And this is where it really gets nefarious. After 15 years of YouTubing, I know these things. When you look at the trends, what you'll notice is that during the summer, kids are out of school. Parents are busy with you know, their kids more so than any other time. So your views go like this. Big trough. And guess what happens right about the time that kids start going back to school in August and September? That starts to pick up. So, no bullshit. The very next year, there was the HMO, the heavy mass object. It was another comet of doom. I'm like, huh, I see what's going on here. Now I'm on to the game. The very next year, it was the red, it was the red or blue Kachina was coming. Mm-hmm. Heard this one before, September. So same thing every single year, every fucking year for the rest of your life. You're going to hear about the time that kids start going back to school. Somebody starting to whip up some story about some celestial body, whether it's our own sun or some other big rock or comet that's going to take out the human race, whether it's Nibiru, Marduk, whatever, and I started to look you know, deeply into this and it's all about manipulation because they know that people are addicted to fear. That is why it's called fear porn. The porn is probably the largest addiction on the internet. Fear porn is at least second, if not first, which is really a scary idea. Yeah. There, there are a lot of people who are addicted to fear. And these people prey on that. They know that. So in being scary and the willingness of it, 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 it's a symbiotic relationship, really, because at the end of the day, you've got the content creators who know they're addicted to fear and the audience that it's simply too painful to admit to themselves that they're addicted to fear because, you know, that's part of the seven step process or whatever is recognizing you have a problem. Most people never get past the first step. They happily lap it up. So, you know, it's a feeding frenzy of fear porn and everybody just tends to jump on the bandwagon. And I've said this to my audience multiple times. I said, you know, with what I know and with what I've learned from my past mistakes and the reason why I've been able to maintain the credibility that I have for 15 years, I may not be the most popular guy on the block. 
I may not be rich, you know, and on the podcasting circuits, you know, the rich and famous, but at least I have my integrity. But let me be honest with you, climate viewers, as I lovingly refer to them. If I were to decide to go Alec, full Alex Jones on your asses tomorrow, I could be rich within one year. And there is no doubt in my mind, because once you learn slave speak, it does give you the ability to very rapidly pick a person apart. Like it's like verbal ninjutsu. I mean, it is literally verbal BJJ. So when I get into a debate, I debated Mick West on chemtrails and he, you know, we had been going back and forth for 10 years and when I actually got the opportunity, he was so he'd, you know, he was in his comfort zone. Like he was when he was on Joe Rogan, you know, he's been on national geographic. He's been on what in the world are they spraying? They had him on as the, you know, negative naysayer over there, negative Nancy. But whenever he finally agreed, and I never thought he would to debate me, he was ready to like go, but chemtrails aren't a thing, Jim. And I flipped the script and I made the entire debate about semantics. And I said, and I did the same thing with the head of the Federal Aviation Administration, Dr. Rangasai Althori. He's the head of the Aviation Climate Change Research Initiative. Now, this guy's got a PhD. He works for the FAA and the government. And I said to him what I said to Mick West, and both were just like, jaw hit the floor. Oh, shit, I'm in trouble. I said to the doctor, when somebody, because I, I had a legitimate crazy person on the phone with me in Madison Star Moon, Amanda Bays, and she introduced me to the doctor, and she'd been calling all these government agencies complaining about the chemtrails over her house. And what I said to the doctor was, when people like Madison call the FAA, why do you respond and say, but chemtrails are not a thing. Those are actually contrails, and they are completely normal. Instead of saying, we here at the FAA are concerned about chemtrails. In fact, we are so concerned about chemtrails, we are currently engineering biofuels for contrail control. We are partnering with Google and Amazon to use artificial intelligence to try to route flights around ice supersaturated regions as not to form contrails that could trap heat at night, but create them during the day to cool the planet. So we take chemtrails very seriously. In fact, our next gen transportation system that makes all those grids in your sky is a super control supercomputer with artificial intelligence and the aviation environmental design toolkit, which specifically designs the environment to fit our climate agenda needs. So we are doing everything we can to control those chemtrails. And we promise that we're doing it for your good. And he's, he kind of chuckled. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> When you put it that way, I guess we could do a better job of communicating with the public. I said, I'm, I'll do you one better. If I walk outside and I point at a cloud and I say chemtrail and you point at the same cloud 
and you say contrail. We're both right. <laughs> and then he, there was a long pause. You could hear the, I mean, you could literally hear the gears turning because this guy had an answer for everything. And he said, I never really thought about it like that. I said, because let's be real, semantically, chemical trail, condensation trail, condensating on what? Right. <laughs> and he is on chemicals. They're all chemicals. I was like, exactly. So why are we having this really silly debate about what you assume about the intentions of a person who uses the word chemtrail? You assume that they believe that it's part of some nefarious agenda when they could just mean it semantically as just an obvious statement of that it is a trail of chemicals like aluminum, barium, strontium, molybdenum, vanadium. And I started quoting off all of the metal nanoparticles that are found in jet exhaust that are just in jet fuel that are burned and they're, you know, parts per million quantities. And um, he said, that is very true. That is very true. I said, and the same is true of weather modification. The fact that it, whether we call it a chemtrail or a contrail or a persistent contrail or aviation induced cloudiness, or there, there's like 25 different terms, contrail induced cirrus, no matter what you call it, if that line cloud spreads out and covers the sky, it is no longer either. And he's like, well, of course you're right, because at that point, it's a serious cloud. I was like, exactly. So why are we having this conversation about you shouldn't call them chemtrails? They're contrails, because nobody gives a damn about either one. They really just care about the fact that there are serious clouds everywhere and that 75% of the cloud condensation nuclei, the seeds in those clouds are man-made metals. So I think I can I can officially say the FAA is making metal clouds. Can we agree on that? And he's like, yeah. And with the MCWests of the world, the ones that want to hate and debunk, MCWests is metabunk.org. I'll even shout out to the Darth Vader of chemtrail debunking. Go check him out. Contrailscience.com, metabunk.org. He's got a forum of trolls on there that all think that they're saving the world one idiot at a time. I said to him, if you believe that there isn't a nefarious agenda going on, then explain this. And he says, Oh, well that's because of owning the weather in 2025. That was just part of what was called air force 2025. That was just the, the U S air college asking some people, you know, students to write a paper about what potentially could be weather warfare techniques for the future. None of that's real though. Okay. Then explain this to me. If owning the weather in 2025 was written in 1995 and 96, then why did the sunshineproject.org, which website has been deleted from the internet, but I pulled all of this from Wayback Machine, why do they have two Freedom of Information Act requests from the United States military? One from the Air Force at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. The Hans Phillips Laboratory, to be specific, 
It's going to matter in a second. And the other from China Lake, California, the United States Naval Warfare Directorate, who was involved with Operation Popeye, which was weather warfare over Vietnam, both of which were the CIA, Henry Kissinger, Air Force, Navy. They did weather warfare over Vietnam for five years, and even the Secretary of Defense wasn't even told about it. This led to the weather warfare ban of 1978. While this was all going on, they also did weather warfare over Cuba, where they created droughts, and they wanted to kill Castro's um, sugar crops. And, of course, the Mick West of the world will go, Yes, there was weather warfare in the past. Yes, it was banned in 1978. Yes, they wrote a paper in 1995 through 96, but that's just all, you know, speculative. But I have two Freedom of Information Act requests from 1994 that have the exact same material using carbon black dust for weather warfare purposes. Oh, Wait a minute, right smack dab in the middle of owning the weather in 2025 is a chart that says carbon black dust, 2005 technologies to be developed by the DOD. Okay. So then this is where I broke Mick West back. I said, now this comes from army.mil. I got this off of the Wayback Machine. It was posted on Army's the Army's website. Dr. Arnold J. Barnes from the United States Air Force Phillips Laboratory giving a presentation to the Air Force and Army on owning the weather in 2025 and right smack dab in the middle of it after the slide on harp is a slide that says weather modification using carbon black. So before owning the weather, two FOIAs after you got a, you know, representative of the Air Force and a what was called Weather Test Technology Symposium 1997 presenting to a joint Army Air Force group the idea that we could use carbon black dust to do weather modification, to create floods, to create droughts. And then, oh, there it is right there in black and white, create slash suppress contrails slash cirrus using carbon black dust. So I'm going to Mick, Mickey boy, riddle me this. How come in 1958, Dr. Florence Van Stratton using carbon black dust was able to create a mile long cloud by throwing carbon black dust out of the back of a plane? I have four newspaper articles proving it. How come in 1974, William Gray wrote carbon black dust absorption of solar radiation to steer hurricanes using carbon black dust to steer hurricanes? How come I have two FOIAs talking about carbon black dust? It's mentioned in owning the weather in 2025. And now Arnold Barnes is talking about using it for weather warfare purposes. And he specifically mentions creating fucking chemtrails. And even Mick West had to eat his own words and was like, okay, I got to admit, this is actually credible. But it doesn't mean that they're actually doing it. But still, to watch him fold like wet piece of paper with the evidence presented to him, minus his semantic 
you know, game, I'm like, that's chemtrails, bruh. That is literally them saying, and the coup de grace was the last slide of his presentation where he literally said, current capabilities, 1997. Create floods, create droughts, ionospheric modification, create, suppress, contrail, slash cirrus. What's more interesting is they he gave a reason why. And this is the one thing that everybody always asks the question. Why? Why would the military want to create clouds? And it's right there in black and white to deny satellite observation. Wait a minute. So let me get this straight. During the Iraqi war, if we had our tanks on the move and they didn't want anybody to be able to see it from space, like say the Russians to see our troop movements, that they couldn't radio their homeboys in Iraq and say, oh, by the way, there's like 180 tanks in this spot. You could literally cover the entire battlefield in clouds. And now suddenly those don't work. Furthermore, the next reason they gave was improve the ability for nighttime operations. Because if you block out the moon, and you've got night vision goggles and your enemy does not. There's another military advantage of just creating clouds. And these were the two reasons that Dr. Arnold J. Barnes from the United States Air Force Phillips Lab said for why they would create chemtrail clouds. So these are the kinds of facts. So like you have unarguable evidence from directly from the horse's mouth that we're no longer in semantic world. We're no longer in slave speak world. We've cut through all the veneer and all the bullshit. And it's, you still going to have your people out there. And, you know, it's a tricky world because once you get into the world of even talking about chemtrails, you instantly know everybody. So I literally have like two books behind me written by a lady who's pretty famous in this world. And she is partnered up with another guy who seems to believe that more gallons is being sprayed out of planes. And you have to look at them and go, but could you ever prove that? <laughs> and if you could, what would you do about it? So that's kind of like where I like differentiate myself from others is that I try to stay pragmatic and stick to things that I can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then anything past that, I'll go, but if you want my opinion, it's the fucking CIA. <laughs> you know, like if you want me to speculate CIA, if you want me to guess why they're who's geoengineering the planet CIA, I'm going to tell you the same answer every time. Cause guess what? All fingers point back to the CIA every right. single time. Right. So that's kind of how I roll with the with these topics. And the same is true with like harp. You know, like everybody wants to blame everything on harp. Meanwhile, I'm going, you do know that we can tell when harp is on, right? Like any ham radio operator in the world pretty much can tell you when har harp is on. And in fact, for a very long period of time, I would have multiple ham radio operators that would 
keep me updated. Like within five minutes of it coming on, I'm getting an email. Yeah, I'm getting a 2.8 to 10 megahertz signal out of Gakona right now. It's at full throttle, Jim. And then I go look at the magnetometers and pull up the web SDR software to find radio and sure as shit, the station that's near there is showing a strong peak at 2.8 to 10 megahertz. Harp is on. But a lot of these guys don't realize it costs like $500,000 per hour to run Harp. And I know this because Chris Fallen, the director of Harp, is on my speed dial on my cell phone. <laughs> so like, you know, after, you know, building credibility, now like I it's like I reach out to these scientists and the people that are doing it and and they know where my where I stand on this, that I don't approve of any of this shit. But at least I'm curious and I'm willing to to state the truth without, you know, any kind of, you know, I do have my biases, you know, but at least I'm gonna be honest about it. Well, and, and that's the thing that kind of baffled me, Jim. I've heard you say that before, that you have this guy on speed dial. And I wonder, you know, does that ease your stress knowing that they know a guy like you exists and they haven't, you know, stifled you yet, so to speak? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Not at all. In fact, I think it makes me more dangerous. But that's why I stopped being resonated. Mm. I mean, the honest to God truth was that after realizing that and after like changing the game and deleting the old me and becoming the new me and literally being willing to put my neck on the line, I met an, a guy who literally told me, he says, if you ever want to be taken seriously, you need to put your name, your number and your address on your website. And I'm like, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> And then I really started doing th some soul searching about it. And I said, but at the same time, you know, like if they did want to get rid of me, nobody would even know who I was. <laughs> like if I remain resonated, the anonymous guy, it's real easy to kill somebody who's anonymous. It's pretty hard to kill somebody, you know, that has a name, a number and an address. <laughs> So there is actually more protection in that realm because now they've got a, you know, it's more like character assassination is the likely way that they would try to go through, you know, the, all of the censorship, the, you know, blacklisting, you can't find any of my stuff. There are people who, and I get a lot of university professors and students, especially that are like, I've been researching this topic for 20 years and I just found your stuff today. I don't know how it's been kept such a secret. And I'm like, you really don't know how? <laughs> I mean, like, I, I'm pretty good with SEO, brother, man. And I'm telling you what, it doesn't matter. You can go to Google and you can type, you can literally put the name of my article in quotes and it will not show up. Do the exact same thing. Put the anatomy of slave speak. Go to Bing, it's at the first slot every single time. I go to Yahoo, first slot every time. Every other search engine other than Google. But the problem is 85% of the internet uses Google for search. They literally have that much of a monopoly. So 
that's you know that's the real problem with all this is that right you can do you know the best you can with a lot of this stuff just just so we're clear like if i can show you that's that's christopher fallen from harp <laughs> but yeah like we had i did a entire powerpoint presentation on heart like what its capabilities are, how it works, what it does, every type of operational thing it can do. And then I en I ended the PowerPoint presentation with the, oh yeah, it was on during Fukushima and when the 9.0 earthquake went off and all of the science behind the heating of the ionosphere that was detected before the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear meltdown. And I sent it to Chris and I said, will you like fact check, you know, my, this before I go on my YouTube channel and, you know, show everybody this PowerPoint presentation I made. And he was like, this is better than 95% of the students in my, you know, in at the University of Alaska Fairbanks could have ever put together. He said, and it's 100% accurate. Everything except for that last thing. And I was like, well, I knew you'd say that, but. Regardless, everything else, really, I mean, you have no corrections. He's like, you nailed it, dude. I was like, fuck, yeah. I did the same thing with my EPA hearing. So when I went to testify at the U.S. EPA on air, air, airplane pollution, I wrote an entire article about nanoparticles of metal and cloud creation. And so what I did was I posted it on metabunk.org for the debunkers. And I said, I'm going to say this on, live on C-SPAN. Debunk one sentence of it. And of course, they all lost their shit collectively and then went straight to ad hominem. And I'm like, not going to work today, guys. I'm really getting on a train. I'm going to Washington, D.C., so unless you've got something tangible to prove me wrong, even one sentence, now's your chance to say it. And they're like, you're just doing this to make money. You're just doing this because you're getting a GoFundMe. You're just doing this because of blood. I'm doing this because I'm fucking right. <laughs> you guys know it. And then I took the same paper and I sent it to Kaku which is like a group of cyber stalking, gang stalking, chemtrail people. They are the worst of the worst scumbags. They like hijack Facebook groups and, you know, harass a gang stalk 16 year old girls who say the chemtrail word. So I sent it to their group. I infiltrated their Facebook group and then I posted it in there saying, so of course, I went up to Washington, D.C., and I gave my speech, and I was contacted by so many scientists, like you would not believe, from all over the fucking world. And I've been proven right every single time, like, since then. In fact, the United States Supreme Court agreed with what I said at that EPA hearing that the Obama administration and the EPA were violating the spirit of the law and using the Clean Air Act to try to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. And I said, you know, why is the, this is, and I'm just, this is totally from memory. Why is the EPA um, tr violating the spirit of the um, 
law of the Clean Air Act in trying to regulate greenhouse gases while ignoring the real health concerns of millions of uh, people uh, worldwide, net metal nanoparticles and cloud creation. And yeah, what, I literally had a party on my channel that day that I saw the EPA, you know, that basically the Supreme Court came out and said, no, you don't have the right to do that. You're violating the spirit of the law. I'm like, what am I, a fucking genius, man? I'm <laughs> you know, so it's great. You know, there are, there are times of joy where you have these many victories, you know, many M-I-N-I. And then there are other times where you just go, what's the point of it all? You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like I've said everything I could possibly say about this. And it, I, I literally put it all onto a website. The only thing that's left is for people to read it because I don't have enough hours in the day, let alone, you know, the rest of my life to individually teach each person all of the things, you know what I mean? So it's like, I'm always down with OPP. I don't know if you get that reference. I'm a little old, but I say I'm down with other people's podcasts <laughs> because when you're down with OPP, then you get that opportunity to spread your message to somebody who's not already in your echo chamber. So that's, I think that's, what's great about what you're doing with all media United. I think that, you know, big kudos to you getting, you know, especially there tend to be some pretty big egos, especially in the truther community, or as Sam Tripoli would say, call it the tenfold hat community. You pick your, you know, title or, you know, badge of honor, but yeah, there, there, there's always these big egos and people really don't want to like, you know, coagulate against the man. I mean, we can all agree BlackRock and Vanguard suck and, you know, the jab sucks and you know, this sucks and that sucks. And everybody's going to tell you, well, my topic's the most important topic, man. I'm telling you, like, if we don't do something about X then we're all fucked on Y and it's like, okay, you know, like, but don't we all agree that, you know, we would just want this world to be better. You're like, you're driven to be a truther because of whatever reason. Your daddy didn't love you enough. You, know, you just, you're a narcissist and you love attention. Me, it's like I was dragged into this because when I started, I did everything I could to still remain anonymous. And then even when I started making videos, I just, I was just my voice. You know, like I didn't want my face on there. And now it's like, well, shit, everybody already knows what I look like. So what's the point? You know, well, what do I got to hide? And I'm like an open book anyway. You know what I mean? Like I've never been one of those people that like has any shame about anything that's ever happened in my life. If you ask me, I will tell you. And because I think that's the human experience. Like we all have shit that we're ashamed of it. And the only way to take the power away from being ashamed of it is just to laugh at yourself. Mm. So as long as you don't take yourself seriously, you can be a YouTuber, you can be a streamer, you know what I mean? You can have conversations with strangers and that are enlightening or, you know, you can decide when you're the student or the teacher, if you're wise, I'm getting older. So I'm getting wiser. Sometimes I learn to shut the hell up. Other times I just run my mouth ad nauseum. Sometimes I'm like, I'm the, I'm the climate viewer guy. I don't really have some witty thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like basically like with, 
the Dr. Shiva thing that just recently happened. They were like, what's your podcast called? And I was like, first of all, I don't have a podcast because I don't think anybody owns an iPod anymore. I don't know why we still call them podcasts. It's just fucking it's cringe. Point. I mean, it, is, it literally is cringe. And I'm not going to call it a VOD either because that just sounds dumb. And furthermore, I never gave it a name. Like, you know, it's just, hey, I'm generally the Climate Viewer guy, you know, and my website is Climate Viewer. Why? Because I, like, view the climate, you know, not just the atmosphere climate, the political climate, the, you know, there's, it's a play on words, you know. And, of course, you got all these symbology guys who do drive-bys on my website and, you know, my YouTube channel. They're like, oh, my God, he's got a fucking eyeball in his logo. And <laughs> I'm like, well, what else, how else do you view the climate? What If you were to make a logo, what would you make it? Because, like, I couldn't think of anything other than an eye to view. I mean, I guess I could remote view, but even that would be like a third eye, wouldn't it? I mean, (laughs) what am I supposed to do? So, you know, nobody even notices that in my Climate Viewer logo, my friend Dominic actually made it for the new logo for me. It's actually like a C and a V. Because if you turn this one, it becomes a V. It's actually a C and a V and a little pupil in the middle. Right. Nobody even, very few people catch it. Um, but they immediately go, oh, symbology, man. Right. <laughs> this dude definitely, you know, paid shill. And I'm like, I, 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 I said it when I was on Sam's show last time, because I was on with, um, Topher Gardner. That was an experience that you, you told me I was going to be on with a guest. I was like, fuck me. I don't even know this guy. He builds dome houses. What the hell is this going to be about? Like, how are we going to jive? Turns out we had a bromance live on the air. <laughs> Dude, I, and then I had him on my show later on, you know, like oh, okay. he, he actually came on my YouTube channel and, you know, we had a pretty lengthy conversation about, you know, more Maui shit and all kinds of random stuff. But yeah, like I, I, he was going on about all these dome houses he built all over the world. And it's like, Fuck me, man. I haven't done shit. <laughs> I'm sitting there waiting for Sam. And then Sam goes, Jim, why don't you tell everybody about yourself? And I'm like, yeah, I'm Jim Lee. I live in the finest double wide the Illuminati ever bought, <laughs> ever paid for. And that's been kind of my go-to thing, you know, like, hey, I'm a fucking chill because as, cl- as you can clearly see, I'm in a gold oh, leaf yeah. mansion, you know? <laughs> God, dude, it's like... You, you got to have thick skin and like, I guess the one thing that ever, you know, really gets under my skin is whenever people question your motivation, mm, like mm. for why you do what you do. And the, I, I go, there's no way anybody with a brain can look at my website and not know that took thousands of hours to put together. You know what I mean? Thousands and thousands of hours. There is no amount of money anybody could ever fucking donate that would ever pay me back for the thousands of hours over the last 15 years to make up for that. So clearly I'm not doing this for the money, pretty passionate about it. And I certainly wouldn't be working 50 hours a week, (laughs) you know, if I was getting rich off of YouTube. So that's the part that's like, you know, like I've been a fighter since I was a kid. I I love fighting. I always will love fighting. 
but you cannot kick somebody's ass on the internet. <laughs> I think it was the, there's a saying that goes something like winning a fight on the internet is like winning a gold medal at the special Olympics. Even if you win, you're still a retard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, then there's the anonymous rules of the internet. All your carefully laid arguments can be easily ignored. So, you know, there's, it's a no win scenario. You know, it's literally Ferris Bueller and freaking war games. You know, the only way to win is not to play the game at all. And my problem is I can't help but read all the comments, you know, mm. at least on my YouTube channel. I, I, I have been able to break the habit of even looking at Facebook, Twitter, or anything else. Like well, I'll, I'll, I'll post my shit there and I'll get right off. I too. don't even delete the comments on YouTube. Like I, I can honestly say that like even the worst ones, like there are a lot of people are like, bro, I can't watch this shit. Even on two times speed, you're slow as fuck. Like get to your <laughs> point, man. And I'll be like, I'll literally comment underneath and be like, yeah, I am Southern. And you know, we're kind of like, the tree ants and Lord of the Rings, anything worth saying is worth taking a very long time to say it. <laughs> and that's just a Southern thing. I mean, we're talky, but you know, sometimes we get off on aphorisms and euphemisms and, you know, just get off on tangents. I'm my daughter says that I have the tism. That's her running joke that I got the ADHDs and the tism because like I'm live and I'm reading the chat and even like anybody else's show when I go on quite frankly show a lot, you know, quite frankly, dot TV, always shout him out. Frank's good people. And anytime I go on Frank's show, like I'm watching the chats <laughs> and Frank, he knows it because I always start, I start shit with somebody in chat almost every time I go on a show, like I'm like, especially flat earthers. Like I can't help, but like, immediately attack the flat earthers. <laughs> There's another dumbass flat earther, you know, I just can't help myself. But that's how I get my, you know, I get my lulls that way, you know, like you gotta you gotta have fun with it, right? Mm. I yeah, I try to. It's definitely something that uh, I can relate to your point about fighting. I have that retard in me where I'm like, oh yeah, I you know it, I got to fight back, you know, even if it's through a keyboard or through a, a phone, I'm probably doing myself a disservice by even admitting this, but yeah, I just, I'm like, the comments definitely get to me. So be kind folks who listen to the show. We put some hard work into this stuff and yeah, we are kind of putting ourselves out there, but yeah, I'll, don't hate on Mark, hate on me. <laughs> I, I used to be a prison guard. I've heard it all before. Right. And I really, I literally... I'm more shameless than Garth Brooks. And if you get that joke, then you're old enough <laughs> to ride this ride. But yeah, like at, at this point, it's like sometimes I, it, you, you get into this struggle, especially when you have like, you know, specific topics that you really, you know, are passionate about of going, well, fuck, what else could I possibly say about this? You know what I mean? And it's like, the things that I want to do now, they're like so lofty and they're so like impossible to pull off that if they were to happen, yeah, they would change the world, but I would literally have to gamble my life 
to make them happen at the same time. So like getting an amendment to the environmental modification treaty, which I call the environmental modification accountability act, I'd have to go to DC and convince somebody from the UN security council to take my draft legislation up to the United nations and put it to a vote and simultaneously write a similar draft for vote in America and get states to participate in writing their own versions so that it's not just the UN, it's not just a federal law, it's also state law, it's everywhere, and create a climate viewer for your backyard, which is a bunch of sensors, which would catch people in the act, streaming all that data in real time to the internet, that's definitely going to earn me a bullseye. You know what I mean? There's going to be green lasers like, you know, <laughs> coming through my windows and shit. And at the same time, it's like a multi-billion dollar idea. You know what I mean? If you collected all of that data, you know, of like rainfall samples, skies, you know, like the video cameras, LIDAR samples of what aerosols and, you know, were detected. If you had that data set, not only would you be able to prove that the fucking CIA was geoengineering in your neighborhood, there would be like, you know, the weather nerds, you know, the meteorologists, the WMO, like all these, all of the, I, I can think of hundreds of people that would give anything to get a data set like that. But at the same time, I think I have to go, there's no way in hell they would want this to be public. I mean, if you had a spectrometer that could break down what chemicals are in your rain and people knew and knew that it was certified, like I went up to Clemson University and worked with their atmospheric team because Clemson may be in South Carolina, but they worked at HARP also. And they work with the Super Darns, the Super Dual Auroral Radar Network. And, you know, they do some of the you know, work with the University of Maryland and, you know, the sounding rockets, all that shit. So, I mean, they got an atmospheric division. I could go up there. I can get the whole thing certified and then literally stick it in your backyard and have it streaming live to the internet. And very quickly, there would probably be some really pissed off people (laughs) because nobody's done this. And I found this out the hard way, like, you know, just, the looks that I was getting, and then we went to the American Meteorological Society's um, annual meeting in 2018. It was the 21st conference on planned and inadvertent weather modification. And I created weathermodificationhistory.com in 2015 after going to Ed Griffin's Freedom Force International on Second Congress. This is right before he started the Red Pill Expo. And I mentioned at that meeting that I was going to make a weathermodificationhistory.com. And I did that, you know, as soon as I got back from there. And by the time I got to the weather mod conference at the AMS, I literally saw like William Cotton in the hallway. And I'm like, dude, that's William Cotton. You know, he worked on Project Storm Fury. They were steering hurricanes for 30 years trying to. I should go over and say hi. And I'm walking up to the guy and he's like, you're Jim Lee. And I'm like, the fuck out of here. And I mean, then I get Dr. Daniel Rosenfeld from the Hebrew university of Jerusalem. He's done 50 years of cloud seeding in Israel. And he like 
recognized me and I didn't know who he was. <laughs> and, you know, it was just like, like going, wait a fucking minute. Like, you know, the it's starting to sink in that because of weather modification history, that they these guys have like completely flown under the radar. You know what I mean? Like they're proud of what they don't have any shame about what they do. And in a lot of cases, they really, you know, they honestly believe that they're doing this to help people because water is life. And, you know, if you're in a drought, these are the guys that are going to save your life by providing water. Or if you believe CO2-based global warming, you're an idiot. But, I mean, the geoengineers, they honestly believe that, oh, we're all going to die and boil, so... Maybe if we figure out some way to block the sun out, we'll cool the planet down. So I try to look at, you know, these people like. Well, and I get there, the middlemen, that's clear. I think that's how a lot of our systems that are against us work with these middlemen who are thinking they're doing the right thing. But what are the results that you think? I know you said the CIA, and I'm not opposed to them being involved. I think you're absolutely right. But what's their intended results other than the military tactical benefit that they are kind of outwardly explaining? Well, I mean, for, I want to say there's like probably 2012 really is when I started seeing a lot of movement at least like publications from the military calling out climate change as the greatest national, you know, security threat. Right. So once they start throwing around terminology, like, you know, climate crisis, you know, could lead to global instability, food instability, water scarcity, mass migration. It is a national security threat. Then, you know, that the CIA is going to be involved. I mean, this is a no brainer. And then you got to think about it too. Like one of the things I learned being a, a hacker and be a network administrator is that if you do your job too well and you secure the network so well that you've kicked the Chinese government out of the tire companies, databases, they're no longer calling the bot owner of the company saying you pay 120 dollar for a good year tire we sell you yin yang tire 79 dollar that shit was really happening so i went like postal on all these chinese servers that were constantly trying to hack through our sonic wall firewall and finally it was dead silent on the internet nothing was attacking you know, the tire company I work for anymore. Nobody was getting viruses on the 90 plus PCs that I was managing. I basically could sit at my desk and work on climateviewer.com. So I was just like help desk handled firewall secure, no problems. And then suddenly they were starting to go, well, you know, we're paying you a lot of money. Why don't you also work over in the warehouse and stack tires and why don't you drive a truck twice a week? And while you're at it, we'd like to fire the guy who's doing final inspection at the retread plant. And you could do that too. And I'm like going, this is why the CIA cooks up some bullshit. Because if I hadn't 
you know, secured the network so well, then I would be very busy. And if I hadn't manufactured, if I had the wherewithal and no morals, I could manufacture a crisis at least once every two months so that I could justify the the massive amounts of money they're paying me. And then they wouldn't be in my face asking me to do more shit. And then you start to see the whole world through a whole new lens. You go, oh, yeah, I guess that does. You know, you manufacture the crises because, like, would you guess 50% at least of the American economy's bullets and bombs and, you know, drones and lasers now and directed energy weapons and all of that? Now, I think I'm having a huge, like, revelation moment. Excuse me for sounding completely dumbfounded, but wow. Yeah, no, it's incredible. So going back to what you are saying before, you know, it seems like a lot of what we get in the conspiracy community is just fear porn. Oh, uh, you know, they're trying to get us to the end of the world. They're trying to bring the devil back, you know, all these theories, these suspicions. And really what it seems to me is the conspiracy is to keep us right where we are right here, where we are locked in. And and I wonder what your thoughts are on that. I mean, do you think that we're currently in a free world, you know, or do you? I think that the 90 and I, and you know, just so we're clear, 78.39% of statistics are made up on the spot. 90% of people are completely freaking mind control. And then of the people who claim to be truthers, you know what I mean, that are out there watching this sort of material on a daily basis, I would say less than 10% of them are not just addicted to fear and really are thinking deeply about what's being said and being critical. And I tell everybody, I'm like, you know, don't trust me. I don't ever want you to trust me. You know why? Because I've been wrong in the past. And there, there is a possibility I could fall into that trap again. I will never willfully become a useful idiot again. I was in the past, but I'm going to do everything in my power to not be one now. And I expect that my community, you call me on my shit. If you think I'm slipping now, that doesn't mean that if you call me on the fact that I have a globe right there, that means that I'm a retard because I haven't clued into the fact that the world's flat. Because if you didn't notice this is a flat world right here and that's a globe, but that doesn't matter. Neither one of these matter doesn't change how I'm going to live my life. So to answer your question, I, I honestly believe that almost every single conspiracy that's out there, if you want to know the truth about it, it is simply there to waste people's time. It, it, you know, especially like when you look at Hegelian dialect, you know, and these false left, right paradigms, especially, you know, gay versus straight, black versus white, Muslim versus Jew, you know, versus Christian, 
trans Jengas versus, you know, allies versus, you know, the haters, pro-abortion, pro-life, you know, name your tribe. All of this manufactured war, because it's all, I mean, the only thing Alex Jones ever got right was the title of his damn show. It is an info. It is a war for your mind. And that is, and that war is waged with words. And that's why I think slave speak is probably the most important thing that I've ever read for being a critical thinker in modern society because I don't trust any of the people that I'm listening to anymore. Right. Like I have to hear it from five different people, five different ways. It has to at least resonate with me somewhat in my gut, you know, my, you know, first, first wave gut check. Does this sound plausible? And then even afterwards, it's going to take me a long time to come to the, you know, the point where I'm going to state beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is true. So just the word chemtrail, I personally, if you really want to get down to it, I think that the whole chemtrail conspiracy was brought about by the airline industry specifically to keep people arguing about you know, secret government programs to spray them like bugs so that you're so busy arguing about that that you never do anything about the fact that they literally are responsible for burning jet fuel that puts 1 million tons of carbon black dust soot into the sky every single year that in that soot is all of the metals that I mentioned earlier, aluminum, barium, strontium, vanadium, molybdenum, zirconium, like every single alkali and, you know, all the metals. Let's put it that way. All the metals, 10, you know, the list goes on and on. They're all nanoparticles. They're all raining down on us to the tune of 1.5 million barrels of jet fuel per day. Just in America. Wow. Just in America. 1.5 million barrels of jet fuel per day. Nobody's ever actually calculated how much chemicals are coming out from burning that jet fuel at 40, you know, 30 to 40,000 feet, which is what makes it unique in this world. We've polluted damn near every bit of the world. The difference is, is where they pollute that makes it special. Now, if people realize how deadly this is and how they're actually geoengineering the world, they're actually doing solar geoengineering just by burning jet fuel. And there's a lot of science behind it. I, that's what I go into is the hows, the whys, the evidence, the Indian Space Organization finding 10,000 carbon black dust particles per cubic centimeter at 18 kilometers in the stratosphere. And saying that the only place that carbon black dust could have come from was burning jet fuel. Means that these planes were not flying in the stratosphere. But their chemicals that they're, you know, 
spraying out the back of their, you know, jet engines is ending up in the ozone layer, is ending up in the stratosphere. And Chuck Long from NOAA said, airplanes are creating a sub-visual ice haze, which is whitening the sky. And that is the definition of geoengineering. It's not the clouds. No geoengineer was ever talking about clouds. They were talking about stratospheric aerosol injection, putting aerosols in the stratosphere. The reason why is because anything you dump in the troposphere, which is where we live, which is where we breathe, up to about 40,000 feet, those chemicals only last two weeks to about two months before they rain and they hit the ground. If you put the exact same chemicals into the stratosphere, they can remain from two months to two years. So there's this cumulative buildup of all these chemicals from Flight Tracker had a world record day. They tracked 137,000 flights in a single day. So if you do the math and you think about it critically, at 137, let's just round it off to around 120,000 flights per day, 1.5 million barrels of jet fuel per day just in America. And all of that is ending up, you know, in the upper layers of the troposphere and, and a large portion of it is ending up in the stratosphere. It's making the sky milky white haze. That is geoengineering. That does have a constant rain out effect, which creates acid rain because sulfur dioxide and sulfuric acid is what's produced whenever the sulfur mixes with water and, you know, it's burned. Um, so yeah, we're getting acid rain and milky white skies in a geoengineered world. And it's coming just from jet fuel being burned. This has nothing to do with either the CIA, the Air Force, or the Navy documents I was talking about early. Just UPS, Delta Airlines, all the commercial flights around the world. That is the scariest part of all of this, that the airline industry has never, ever had any kind of regulations put on them to either test for how much chemicals they're putting into the atmosphere, what the human health effects of it are, which we know. I mean, heavy metals entering the human body causes all the things. (laughs) I mean, this is known, especially aluminum. So at this point, it's like, all right, I traveled to Washington, D.C. because I was serious about the fact that clouds are bad and metals are worse. But you guys were literally trying to regulate CO2 because global warming, because polar bears and shit. Meanwhile, y'all are geoengineering. You're trying to control the clouds, none make clouds by day, none by night. I see all this going on and I'm going, and of course, they're going to keep pushing out these conspiracies. So conspiracy one. Let's call them chemtrails and let's say that it's, you know, the Illuminati and the Bilderberger group, you know, Bill Gates is the one who's behind it all, you know, because he makes all the jet fuel. 
Okay, perfect fucking idea. So at the end of the day, I think these are specifically designed mind bombs that are put out there on the internet. And people run with it. Did you ever watch that TV show? It's a it was a Sherlock Holmes, you know, it's a, a more recent one. I could yell at my wife real quick. She would remember. <laughs> but the guy who played Sherlock Holmes was the same dude that played the lead actor in the movie Hackers. And anyway, I'll never forget it. And what he did in his spare time, he's like between cases. It's like, what are you doing, Sherlock? You know, he's like, I'm coming up with the latest conspiracy. He'd hit the enter and he's like, <laughs> like in his spare time, he was making up conspiracies, you know, just to see how long they would, you know, propagate on the internet. Wow. And if you think about it, like psychological operations, mind war, all these doctrines for, you know, manipulating people. Well, who invented the internet? ARPA, you know, which turned into DARPA. What was the purpose of the original internet? Well, it wasn't just to shoot emails between freaking bases. I can promise you that. It was to be able to put direct communication in foreign countries to disseminate propaganda. Just like the Voice of America, the old radio stations that we had that would transmit over into other enemy countries so that we could put our propaganda into their countries. Now they can literally reach any morons got one of these little things now. It's right there. They're tracking everything you're doing with it. Um, You know, you can literally tear the battery out of that damn phone and they can still record your audio. They can still turn that camera on, even with no battery in it. Look up Van Egg Freaking. Yeah, Tempest Attacks, things like that. So, like, yeah, I, I could be extremely paranoid, and I really am now that I think about it. So I guess not only my family thinks I'm crazy, I know I'm crazy because I do this shit even though I know how deep the rabbit hole goes. But yeah, I, I I generally believe that almost every single conspiracy I've come across has grains of truth in it, but are specifically designed that 80 to 90% of the people who engage in that conspiracy will never, ever see through it mm. to, to get to the truth of what it's really there, what its purpose is. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, I thought just came to me when I was younger. Still, I, I love animals. I've always been fascinated with the environment. And when I was younger in like the 90s, early 2000s, environmentalism was a, still a lot about pollution. It wasn't so much about climate change, right? And that's clearly shifted. I don't hear much about pollution as much as I hear about climate change these days, but uh, is it simply corporate, you know, greed and misappropriation and, and low morals and no ethics when it comes to pollution? Or is there a weaponization of these chemicals? Do you think this is a part of a larger agenda, a larger plan to put metals in our atmosphere and in our environment? So this is where... 
I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you yes and no. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make a statement. Then I'm going to completely contradict the fuck out of myself. All of this is completely coincidental. And the reason why it happens is because corporations are psychopaths. If you look up the definition of a psychopath and you look at any large corporation and you take the seven basic tenets of what makes a psychopath. Matter of fact, let's do a little experiment right now. I'll even do this. Let's see. Seven signs psychopath. <laughs> this is just a little mind experience. The seven signs of a psychopath, traits and characteristics. They're charming superficially. They try to manufacture negative reactions. You catch them in lies repeatedly with no clear motive. They seem incapable of guilt or shame. They change allegiances without a second thought, no matter how intense the betrayal. They turn people against each other. And they trigger your cognitive dissonance. Holy shit. That is literally every single industry I can think of. <laughs> Let's just use an example. Monsanto. Right. Psychopath. Airline industry. Psychopath. You know why? Because even though the Supreme Court may have given companies the ability to be people and have a voice as if they were a person, they are not. They are hive mind group think entities that serve the monetary, you know, purposes of investors and they have no loyalties. It is all about that bottom line and who makes a buck. And you are, what's the word I'm looking for? Collateral damage. Okay. So with the airline industry, they want to make money. They want to ship things to and fro, whether it's people, packages, Amazon deliveries. They don't give a fuck about you. They're psychopaths. Now I'm going to flip the script. Because what you don't realize is the fucking Illuminati actually runs all of these. They run them through BlackRock and Vanguard. And that's how they force them to do what they want. Because if they don't, they'll take away their dollars and they won't be able to get a loan. And that's why Larry Fink said he's going to force behavior because the one world government is forcing the behavior of all these people. They're intentionally poisoning you. It is all by design. They've said very clearly they want to depopulate the world. Well, they're fucking doing it. And that's why you guys are going to sit there and you're going to argue and you're going to fight each other. And you're never going to do anything to any of these fuckers because it's all by design. It's intentional. It's depopulation. I just said the same thing two different ways. One sells like crazy. The other one's not so popular. I take the low, the road less travel. So to answer your question, yeah, it's both. So is nowhere safe? Because, I mean, as you said, your dream scenario is getting this 
thing passed and the level of the UN because you know what you know we could change things here in this country but that doesn't stop China and India and everyone else from polluting and doing all kinds of crazy shit and the same is true this is the the it's it's like whenever I, I you know I think very deeply about it and I go what is the solution and and this is the advice I give to anybody to be able to tell the difference between somebody who's selling you fear and a true activist. If somebody is scaring the shit out of you on the internet and they're not offering you a solution or something to work towards, you know, some hope, you know, something to hope and work for. And even being wise enough to go, this probably won't happen in my lifetime. But if at least I start the ball rolling, somebody else may pick up that torch and maybe in three generations, because it's what it typically takes. Ask the black people to make a change. That's what's going to be necessary. If they don't have a solution, then they're probably info fucking team. And it's fine. I mean, I'm all for somebody you know, being an infotainer with their fear porn. But I tell people all the time, I'm not your info fucking tainment. I'm here because I have a goal and I don't want my children to grow up in a world where they cannot see the stars. My daughter's grandchildren may grow up in a world where you cannot see the stars at all. That is what the predictions are right now, just based on how many more planes per year are flying, how much the aerosols are building up, how much the cloud cover will increase over time if nothing is done about this and the agenda moves forward as planned. So you have to look at it from that perspective. And at the same time you go, but the United Nation is useless. My favorite Chappelle show skit ever was Black Bush. And it was about George Bush. And in it, he said, what? The United Nations doesn't like what I'm doing? Well, sanction me with your army. Oh, wait, you don't have an army. I guess you better shut the fuck up. <laughs> and it's so true. Because the United Nations also did the limited test ban treaty or the limited test ban treaty which was basically the banning of upper atmospheric nuclear detonations. So after the Cold War and 2,615 nuclear detonations, which I have all of them mapped on climateviewer.org, you can see all 2,615 nuclear bombs that went off. And then at the end of this period, which is around 1958, they were doing Operation Starfish Prime, Hardtag Teak, where they were literally trying to blow up a hole, blow holes in the ionosphere. So they were blowing up nukes in space. And it was all fine until the Russians went and did it one time with Project K. And then suddenly everybody's like, oh, oh now we got to stop. You know, <laughs> we blew up like seven nukes in space and the Russians did one. And then suddenly it was like, okay, how about we stop this altogether? Because we're going to literally kill everybody on the planet. They were blowing up, they were burning up satellites. So it became a problem. 
I'm only bringing this up because they banned upper atmospheric nuclear explosions. Then they created the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty Organization, CTBTO. Never heard of them before, but apparently they saw my nuclear map and they shared it on their internal government website forum, which I couldn't actually get into because there was a paywall login kind of thing. But I was getting 100,000 hits per hour from their website to my map. So I was like, oh, shit. Somebody noticed the map. And that's when I realized what was going on. The CTBTO actually runs something called the IMS, which is the International Monitoring System. The reason why it's important is because though they banned upper atmospheric nuclear explosions, does it really matter? I mean, it's it's a sheet of paper. A sheet of paper with words on it. Words are useless if the threat doesn't also come with the implications of bodily harm. If I tell you I'm going to fuck you up, you got to believe it, right? Because otherwise, if the guy on the other guy's other end, when I look him in the eye and say, I'm going to fuck you up, if he goes, I think I can take him. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know, it doesn't matter. So, the CTBTO and the IMS is actually a sensor on network worldwide of seismographs, infrasound recorders that listen for the sound of a nuclear bomb going off. And then they can triangulate it through what's called interferometry. And it's basically like if you had three points, one here, one here, and one here, it took 36 milliseconds for it to be heard here. It took 26 milliseconds for it to be heard here by an infrasound recorder and a seismograph 22 milliseconds later caught it here. So right about here is where that detonation goes off. That's called interferometry. That's how they triangulate a location. So now when Rocket Man in North Korea shoots off a nuclear bomb, we know. So even though it's banned... North Korea is still blowing up nuclear bombs and they aren't doing it just underground. That's the point. So having a, you know, international weather warfare ban means nothing if you have no way to catch somebody doing. And even if you catch somebody doing it, it means nothing if you're not going to do anything about them doing. So it's like, yeah, I could get the law passed. Yeah, I could get all of the geoengineers and weather modification, you know, people around the globe to agree to, you know, give a prior notification before atmospheric experimentation. That way, if, you know, if you cloud seed in a storm and you end up causing a flood, then at least somebody can take your ass to court and sue you. That would be nice. I called it the International Registry of Atmospheric Experimentation. That's in my law. 48-hour notice minimum before you do weather modification. Two-year notice before any type of outdoor experiments on geoengineering, though I want that practice completely banned. But if we could, even if we could get to that point, 
without a citizen-powered sensor network to detect the activities of the people who did not report that they were going to do atmospheric experiments, then we cannot catch the bad actors like the CIA. So the whole point would be to have something like the CTBTO, an international monitoring system run by governments of the world, with a singular purpose of detecting geoengineering and weather modification activities that were not reported before they, you know, that I'm doing this because Texas needs rain in its reservoir. We're going to be doing this at this time. Oh, wait, we just detected a whole bunch of silver iodide, you know, falling in Oklahoma and a storm that, you know, basically whipped up two tornadoes and tore the place to to shit. Well, nobody actually told us they were going to be cloud seeding on this storm. Then you go do the back, you know, back up the tape and you go look at all the flights and you actually catch the person who was doing. This is the kind of forensic, you know, information, trust, but verify you would need to actually hold somebody accountable for all of this. So like, being pragmatic about all of this stuff that I've learned, I realize how it's going to be damn near impossible to ever, you know, like catch people in the act, like hold people accountable. I mean, think about just the Monsanto thing. That's why you mentioned the climate change pollution thing. I mean, how many activists were there out there saying round up deadly Monsanto's evil. We should do something about this. How many years, decades did it take for, you know, something to actually be done about it before finally, like you're sitting in your house late night and they're like, were you hurt by Monsanto's now it's bear. (laughs) Were you hurt by Roundup or Paraquat? And did you get medullary thyroid cancer? Call us now. We're the ambulance chasers that are literally so in, you know, part of this class action lawsuit that actually won against somebody who poisoned like everybody on the planet. Forget PFOAs and, you know, forever chemicals and all the other stuff that ends up in your water. All of these issues, it's like, I would say that these industries are all, they all fall in the same category the too big to fail or another way to put it is work hand in hand with government. You know, they are, they have so many lobbyists that nobody will ever touch them because they fund the same people that write the laws and regulations so that nothing will ever be done about it. So that's why I talk about pollution, privacy, and propaganda. If you are an activist and you care about pollution, They're going to hack your computer. They're going to hack your phone. They're going to listen to your phone calls. They're going to know everything about what you do. They're going to violate your privacy. If you decide you're going to actually go out in the streets and try to raise awareness about this and be an activist, and you are organizing this event, they're going to infiltrate your group and make sure that, you know, it's full of FBI agents and agent provocateurs. And if that doesn't work, at the very least, they're going to make up propaganda. If you're successful in getting your message out and it's starting to resonate with people, 
you know, all the who's in Whoville, then they're going to put out propaganda to try to either discredit you. Glass and China are easily broken and never well mended. <laughs> Glass, China, and reputation mm. are easily broken and never well mended. Ben Franklin. And that's still true to this day. You know, at first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. One of the oldest sayings. So this is the commonality I see of every activist group I've ever like monitored on a macro scale, just taking a step back and looking at it and going, started out as conspiracy theorists, realized there was a problem, tried to be activists about it, infiltrated by, you know, government or corporate bad actors, didn't self-police, falls apart, people in leaders in jail. <laughs> That's pretty fucking jaded. I think that, I think I am pretty fucking jaded. <laughs> well, and going to some solutions, I can think of a few guests that I've had on this show that talk about everything from Oregon to Brown's gas. And recently I already referenced this once, but Randall Carlson he was talking about some sort of plasma-based technology that they were going to use to cut down on fossil fuel emissions, which I also <laughs> find some of that suspicious. But when it comes to planes in particular, do you think something like that can be implemented with, with what's going on with planes on the commercial level so that they're not producing all this pollution? One of the things that Randall said was that after installing this plasma technology into the the vehicle somewhere in the muffler or something like that, I'm not a mechanic, the exhaust was something like 20% oxygen, which is like peak, you know, environmental conditions. You, know, you get that kind of level of oxygen. It, 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 I've never heard of what you're talking about. It is so like, so synchronistic because I had, I was thinking about this literally two days ago. Hmm. And I did a video, I usually do a video on Sunday. So yeah, it was Monday and I was talking about, you know, Bill Gates basically was saying plant trees, fuck that. That's stupid. You know, we, we couldn't possibly plant trees, you know, and save us from climate change. Meanwhile, the world economic forum has literally got the one T.org plant 1 trillion trees. And I'm going, what am I in fucking bizarro world or is like, am I agreeing with something the world economic forum is saying and Bill Gates is disagreeing with the world economic forum. Like we have literally entered, we passed through the twilight zone through bizarro world. And now I need to come up with a new term for where we're at. And then I, you know, I got into at the tail end of the discussion, you know, cause it's just free stream of thought. I put no effort into actually, you know what I do. I just have like a general idea of where the train is going to take me. And then I let it happen organically, which could be a good or a bad thing. But you know, the chat started saying fossil fuel and I'm like, you know, okay, let you guys keep bringing it up. So we're going to go there. So then I brought up Al Gore, you know, talking about, you know, feeding off the blood of, you know, animals and plants. And I'm like, dude, 
you're so dumb, man, bear, pig, so dumb that he doesn't even realize that the whole fossil fuel theory is that billions of years ago, biological material created oil, crude oil. This is long before the dinosaurs. There were no plants and animals. This is literally like just biological soup that they, so the, the whole term fossil is dumb to begin with anyway. Then there's the whole abiotic, what they call abiotic theory of the genesis of, you know, hydrocarbons that if it's true that they're all made from fossils and biological material, explain methane in comets on other planets. That doesn't make sense. I mean, they found, you know, hydrocarbons on freaking in sand samples from the Mars Rover. Now, if you try to explain this to some people, they'll go, there are no satellites. You, all of it's a picture. We live on a flat plane. That's the kind of level of dumb we have right now. But at the same time, you have to go, well, you're more willing to believe that the Earth is flat than even explore the idea that maybe these fuels weren't created from fossils. They definitely weren't created from dinosaurs. They certainly weren't created from plants and animals. And the theory is it was created by, you know, biological soup billions of years ago. Fine. Let's just, let's go with that. How about this one? The cola borehole, the cola super deep borehole, 7.6 miles deep, the deepest hole ever dug into the earth. And basically many of the beliefs that were long held beliefs about the crust of the earth were disproven during a cold war drill off between Russia and America, by the way, Russia won. They dug the deeper hole. And what they realized was there were these micro fissures in there where even, you know, three, four miles down, they were finding living bacteria, biological material, all this stuff that hydrocarbons are made at some of the, you know, like lava, you know, the hot vents and like the Marianas Trench, you know, there's some of the deepest places of the ocean. That's clearly not fossil fuel. Uh, something called the Fisher Tropes process. I'm not going to get too damn sciencey, okay? The point being that there's all of these, you know, these tropes that just people take, you know, you know, they heard the term fossil fuel. They're like, oh, well, clearly that's got to be true. I mean, 97% of scientists agree that global warming is caused by a man. I basically say this, the day we all agree is the day we could all be wrong. And that, and I apply that to everything. So if you show me a group of people and you tell me that they all think the same way, I'm going to say they're all fucking brainwashed because it's the only way you could ever get any group of people to agree all on one certain thing in any class of, you know, of, of idea. It doesn't matter. So 
I do believe that, you know, the whole narrative of pollution versus climate change, let's not call it global warming, let's call it climate change because climate always has changed. It's a great way to move the goalpost forever. You know, like Greta Thunberg saying in 2018, we have five years till we reach the tipping point and it's all over with. Uh, that kind of happened in June of 2023 this year. So what did they do? They fired up some new climate clocks which are said to tick down in 2029, which is literally one year before Agenda 2030. Convenient, I think so. Probably going to be about the time they go, well, it's so bad now, man. We're going to have to do the geoengineering. You know, we're just going to have to legalize it, and we're going to have to geoengineer. And by the way, what we're not telling you is that the sun is in a continually weakening cycle. So it's going to get colder and colder anyway. But if we time this just right, we can take hijack the entire hydrological cycle of the planet. We can control where rain falls everywhere on the globe. And we can take credit for saving the world from global warming. If we just start geoengineering at the same time, that the sun should be cooling off and we might be able to keep it at a nice equilibrium and not accidentally throw us into a snow piercer ice age. Um, and I think that's generally how the world works. You know, they know these long-term cycles and they take advantage of them. So they, they know that we're in a cooling trend. This is all about money. I mean, at the end of the day, anybody with a brain, you know, follow the money, keep it simple, stupid. The whole green agenda is about making money. And I think that's where we're at, you know, like. Well, and that being said, you know, looking ahead, I mean, I'm a young guy. I, I still haven't like planted my roots down to start a family, so to speak. But would you advise me going closer to the equator, given that the planet's going to be cooling? Or do you think that, you know, the, it doesn't really matter where you are. You should just. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like. I think they grossly underestimate, you know, people's ability to adapt. And the other thing is like their worst case scenario, let's say the worst possible case, let's double their worst case scenario. Cause their worst case scenario is like three degrees Celsius. Let's go 10. Fuck it. Let's shoot for the bin. Let's melt the whole fucking pole. Okay. There's still enough land for everybody on the planet. Even after the seas have risen, the Edgar Casey levels, there's still enough room for everybody on the planet and room to grow. Elon Musk, you know, like him or hate him. He pointed out that if you literally took everybody on the planet and you stood them shoulder to shoulder, that they would all fit inside of the state of Texas. And, I don't and know Texas if you watch would Star be pissed. Huh? And Texas would be pissed if that happened. It's true, but <laughs> the point is, people don't understand scale. They don't understand how big the freaking world actually is. Right. And our ability to innovate. So you can't tell me that we wouldn't just build up. I mean, you might have some thousandth floor buildings, but the sky's literally the limit and you know 
where there's a disaster, there's someone to make money off of it. They will capitalize off of it. If you happen to end up living in a place that's, you know, experiencing ice age, like, you know, problems. I mean, you look right now, Saudi Arabia is building that the, the line and they're already in China. They have like entire towers where it's all hydroponics all the way. You know, the entire skyscraper is a hydroponic farm. Anything's possible. Like, I'm eternally hopeful. Like, I hope for the best. I expect the worst. But for anybody to say that, you know, like, you need to prep within my lifetime or even my children's lifetime for the end of the fucking world, the only thing that's going to do that is one of two things, in my personal opinion. And that's one big Carrington event, you know, (laughs) a big solar kill shot, you know, we get a, you know, X 1000 flare, like, you know, like the Carrington event that would basically melt down every nuclear reactor on the planet simultaneously. In addition to cutting out all the power and it'll look like some, the hunger games will look like, you know, paradise compared to what we would be going through that or, you know, a really big fucking rock hitting the planet because there's nothing we can do about that currently no matter you know what you saw on independence day or whatever that other you know the film i'm talking about any of those films yeah we'd all be toast and you know maybe some rods of god you know if they got you know those types of weapons those could take out most of the planet but barring that i mean anything that weather or climate related happens we can adapt and the reason i know this is because not only do i believe it in my gut before i heard it but a guy by the name of dr evil the real dr evil lolwood roderick hyde and edward teller inventor of the hydrogen bomb out of lawrence livermore national labs in 1994 wrote the paper basically kicked off the modern push for geoengineering for spraying chemicals in the stratosphere to block sunlight to save us from global warming. And Lowell Wood, Dr. Evil, also said this. I want to bring it up because it's that damn good. And his words are way better than anything I'm going to say. So let me do this real, real quick. Can Dr. Go for it. Evil. Human beings are like cockroaches, Wood says in his typical black humor. It's fairly easy to kill the first 10% of the population. And if you try really hard, you might even get the next 10%. But no matter what you do, you'll never get the last 10%. We will find a way to survive. And that guy literally made we- makes the scariest weapons in history for a living. And his best friends referred him as Dr. Eve. Fair to say, humanity's enemy. 
and he's even saying he couldn't defeat it. Pretty easy to kill the first 10%. If you try really hard, you might get this in the next 10%, but no matter what you do, no matter what happens, and shit, even if the Carrington event happens, even if an asteroid hits, I mean, there's the younger dry ass period, you know, the end of the ice age. Somehow people survive that with no technology. Right. Now, you know, I think it's Graham Hancock seems to believe that previous to that, there was, you know, many, you know, different cultures that had advanced technology that were wiped out during that time. And they were the people that came back to help people rebuild and taught them architecture and science and all these things. I think that's more plausible than ancient aliens. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's still, it shows that what Edward, you know, what Lowell Wood is saying is true. You know, no matter what happens, you'll never kill that last 10% of humans. Yeah. I mean, we're just some hardcore mother. There, there are some hardcore survivalist motherfuckers out there or just lucky people. So, I mean, you know, I was brought up in, you know, in a Lutheran church and I'm not going to get too into the Bible, but there are people out there that are like revelations, this revelations, that. And I'm like, eh, it could happen. I mean, I'm not trying to be blasphemous or anything, but you know, this was written a long time ago and it does sound a lot like a lot of the shit I hear on YouTube all the time, none of which ever comes true. And it even says in the story, no man shall know the time or date in the book. So why don't we just sit on that one and go, people find a way to survive. And that's where I'm going to stick. You know, I'm going to be an eternal optimist, though. Don't ask my family because they would tell you, dad is so negative. Like he always thinks of every possible thing that can go wrong. (laughs) But that's my job as protector, right? Right. Yeah, I'm with you there. When it comes to uh, our local environment, you know, I go and get spring water from a mountain when I can. And that's basically what me and my lady drink. You know, we don't drink out of the tap. Uh, Is any water supply safe at this point or because of this, you know, atmospheric spraying, you know, we're just we have it everywhere now. I mean, it's ubiquitous at this point. It's the same as like the PFOAs or any of that. I mean, it's in everything. I mean, thousands of years from now, somebody's going to dig up our bones and be like, bruh, damn, there was a lot of plastic in these people. Yeah, (laughs) the plastic human. I mean, we are plastic humans at this point. Wow. It's just, I mean, it's inevitable. Wow. Holy, speaking of wow, it's midnight and I've got to get up for work at 6 a.m. Damn. Well, I, I, I don't do this for anybody, but for you, Mark, I, I had to say, yeah. Oh, thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Was it. Wor- it was worth it to finally see your face. <laughs> we talk so much over text so many times, but you're cool. cool you're a cool cat, man. You're going to have to like, I need to like start listening to other people's podcasts, not just going on them. Well, 
tune in and you're a cool cat too i almost thought you said i'm a cool kook i'll take that as well you're also a kook in my book and i think that's that makes us right at home here on the my family thinks of crazy podcast but jim you're the man i really appreciate this climateviewer.com is where people can go to follow up with all the thousands and thousands of hours of work you've put into this and I think that says it all, unless there's anything else you'd like to leave the people with before we wrap up. I just tell people the same thing at the end of every video I make, you know, with information comes power, with power comes great responsibility. So please use the information that you find either on this podcast or wherever you get your infotainment to attack ideas, not people. Right on. And with that, folks, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Lee. What a guest. I really love talking to Jim. And if you're only listening to this episode on the free side of things, which you are, what are you waiting for? Jim and I got into so much more than what you just heard. We talked about weather shamanism. We talked about some of the megalithic structures and how this climate manipulation stuff, this weather manipulation stuff may not be all that new. This may be something that is going on throughout human history. So be sure to do yourself a favor and sign up on the Patreon or the Substack for as low as $5 on Patreon or $8 on Substack. And if you do sign up to an $8 tier on Patreon, I will give you a free subscription to our Substack. So you get it all for 8 bucks, but you can get most of it for 5 on the Patreon. So go and do that now. I got to give a big shout out to the Hit Kit, the number one way to get lit. Garrett is an awesome dude. Even though his machine uh, is down right now and he's sort of out of production, he's still supporting the show. So we're going to support him. We're still going to talk about his product. Uh, if you have a hit kit, take a picture with your hit kit. Show Garrett some love. And I certainly love my hit kit here. Um, it's uh, basically like a rolling station. And maybe Garrett can do like a GoFundMe thing and... Uh, if you want one of these rolling stations, Garrett, if you're listening to this right now, maybe you should do this. Wink, wink. Make it go. Give, send, go. And for everybody who donates a certain amount of money to help you get your machine back in production, um, they get one of these really dope uh, rolling tray device boxes. So, yeah. Just an idea from your buddy Mark. I know you're changing changing the game in many different ways but the hit kit is still here to stay so keep up the good work and everybody tuning in consider sending us a one-time donation consider supporting the show for as little as five dollars a month consider all the free content that i pump out every week consider the value you get from this show and think of a way you can send it back my way because i can't do this for free folks and i'm getting out of my grandma's basement and into my own apartment probably gonna have to get a part-time job and when i do that i might not be able to put out as many episodes as i do now so please support the show while you still can 
do yourself some good karma and support the podcast you know and love. And with that, folks, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode with Jim Lee. Like I said, if you want more, go and check out the bonus side of the podcast, Patreon or Substack. Until next time, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Having to somehow pretend and go along with it. Imagine playing this game of make-believe simply because you think and feel you have no other choice. You feel trapped and helpless. Nothing is really changing. In fact, it's getting worse. For fuck's sake, the world's getting worse. If I kill myself, I write a letter first. Fuck off. I'm only joking, I'll just write a better verse. Ah. But fuck social media and fuck the metaverse. Ah. They want your consciousness to make it digital. You need to open up your mind and don't be cynical. Virtual reality is making people miserable. Jeez. But everybody needs to be a bit more spiritual. Wake up. Everybody needs to be a bit more quiet. Shh. I'm done with the bullshit, blood, I'm really tired. Yeah, I'm tired. There's no point in a protest or riot. No, if you wanna change yourself, then change your diet. And if you want to change, do it for yourself Not for no one else, you don't need no one's help Cause if you want to change, do it for yourself Don't do it for your ego, do it for your health The knowledge that I'm giving you is so divine The wisdom in my mind is feeling so sublime If you wear a mask, you need to grow a spine I'm seeing GMO human beings all the time I'm feeling EMF frequencies everywhere In my city, 5G towers, I see many there But no one seems to understand, no one ever cares No one's on my wavelength, it's very rare We live inside a holographic simulation They're controlling you through fear and intimidation They control you with the TV and the media Their understanding of technology is way superior into transhumanism, yeah. they're transforming humans and that's the new religion. Artificial intelligence is too forbidden. You need to go inside and meditate, the truth is hidden. Waking up one day and realizing that the world you find yourself in is built on an illusion. Imagine realizing that everything you thought to be sacred and true turns out to be false. The systems, establishments and authorities you trusted in turned out to be built on deceptions meant to mentally and emotionally enslave you. Imagine having to deal with that realization, then trying to share what you have discovered with those closest to you only to be mocked, ridiculed and labeled as crazy. At first, all you can do is inspire others, complain or protest on the internet, but it seems hardly anyone is paying attention. Most of your friends and family distance themselves from you. You become the weird one in all your social circles. It's a lonely and depressing path you walk. But you choose to keep walking, for there is no going back. You simply cannot unknow what you now know. Then, one day, something beautiful happens. A real solution appears like a rainbow in the middle of a storm. Realize that you cannot fix the problem whilst you are inside the problem. You realize that you playing along is the problem. The greatest act of revolution is simply to say no 
and walk away. You quit that money-grinding lifestyle. You quit that rent and mortgage lifestyle. You quit that bill-chasing lifestyle. You quit giving most of your energy away to a system that does not serve your well-being. You leave the matrix and decide to go off-grid. You find a plot of land, co-create a self-sufficient community, and begin the process of learning how to live a self-sustainable lifestyle. Once you taste true freedom, you can never be a slave again. Being free, sovereign, independent, and self-sufficient, self-determined, is so much more soul-fulfilling and purposeful. Your sole purpose in life becomes a mission to inspire as many other like-minded people to do the same. Break free from the systems that don't serve their well-being and start new cooperatives that do. Communities that work in common unity. You are finally being the change you wish to see.